0: If anyone can tell me the names of Lot's daughters, I'll buy you a bagel. Sorry, bagel stores, you're not getting my business. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. (coughs) Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. The events of Genesis chapters 18 and 19 are seared into our collective memory. Here we read of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the most famous episodes in the entire Bible. We know the story. Three angels appeared before Abraham outside his tent as he was recovering from his circumcision. One of the angels announced that he and Sarah would have a child in one year's time. He announced the birth of Isaac. The other two angels continued their journey to Sodom and Gomorrah, cities which God had proscribed due to their wickedness. Abraham, we remember, bargained with God, eventually agreeing that if 10 righteous people were found in these cities, God would spare them from destruction. Yet even 10 righteous people could not be found. The angels then attempted to evacuate Lot and his family from Sodom prior to its destruction. We usually skip over the next part and go straight to the fire and brimstone, with Lot's unnamed wife looking back and becoming a pillar of salt for her transgression. We skip this part because, frankly, it makes us uncomfortable. It's a Bible story they don't teach us in religious school. But here it is. When word got out that there were two visitors in Lot's home, the men of Sodom gathered outside his door. They were not bringing casseroles. Rather, they demanded that Lot give the strangers over to them so that, the, so that, quote, they might have their way with them, unquote. In other words, the men of Sodom wanted to sodomize the angels. Lot begged them not to rape these men. Surely it was as wrong then as it is now. But then Lot really threw us for a loop. He offered his two virgin unmarried daughters to the mob instead to let these men rape his unmarried daughters, sparing his visitors. This is just as awful. I have no way to spin this in Lot's favor. Who would ever give over their daughters to a sexually aroused mob? Fortunately, the angels pulled Lot back into the house and locked the door. Then they sent blinding light to confound the mob. Lot reluctantly left his married daughters and sons-in-law at their homes and escaped with Mrs. Lot and the virgin girls. During their escape to Zoar, a tiny town outside the zone of destruction, Mrs. Lot turned around. For violating the command not to look back, she was turned into a pillar of salt. Lot and his surviving daughters took refuge in a cave near Zoar. This is when Lot's daughters take center stage. In chapter 19, verse 21, the older daughter convinced her sister to participate in a nefarious plot On successive nights, they would each get their father drunk, incest him, and hopefully become pregnant by him. Just as the male rapes horrified us earlier in the story, this plan was just as horrific. And why did daughter one devise this plot and convince daughter two to join her in it? As she said, their father was old and living in isolation as they did, she was convinced that the old man was the last living male on earth. He was the only one, she thought, who could give them children and so preserve the human race. The Torah presents her reasons as pure ones. She felt that they had no choice but to be fruitful and multiply with Lot, their father. On successive nights, Lot's daughters got their father drunk and then slept with him. The older one on the first night and the second daughter on the second night. Both girls became pregnant. The elder's daughter had a son named Moab. The younger had a son named Ben-Ami. Moab was, as the name describes, the father of the Moabites. Ben-Ami became the father of the Ammonites. The Torah does not record Lot's reaction upon hearing the news that he unwittingly impregnated his daughters. And of course, at this point, they disappear from history. Knowing this, we can now understand why Lot's unnamed daughters play such an important role in biblical history. They are the mothers of two very important nations. God tells Moses later that the Israelites may not intermarry with Moabites or Ammonites. Israelite men were allowed to marry women from various non-Israelite tribes, except for Canaanites, Moabites, and Ammonites. God forbade the Canaanites due to their idolatry, thinking that their pagan ways would turn the Israelites away from God. The Moabites and Ammonites, however, refused to allow the Israelites to pass through their territories during their desert wanderings. For denying the Israelites travel privileges, God did not allow the Israelites to marry their daughters. But if that were all there was, we must look now at a descendant of Lot's older daughter the Moabite woman, Ruth. We know the story and we'll re-examine it again in a later episode. For now, we only need to remember that this Moabite woman, whom the Torah says cannot marry an Israelite, marries Boaz, a man of Judah, certainly an Israelite. As expected, Boaz and Ruth, who did not convert as is commonly assumed, were the parents of Ovid, the father of Jesse, as described in the final verses of the book of Ruth. And we know who the son of Jesse is. It's David, the future king of Israel and the ancestor of the Messiah. In other words, a Moabite woman who was forbidden to a man of Judah, a descendant of a son of incest, married him anyway. Her reward was to be the mother of the Messiah. Remember this though, The Torah tells us that it is sinful for a man to have sex with his daughter. Incest in any form is an affront to God. Yet this illicit union is the origin story of King David and the Messiah who is yet to come and redeem the world. We will often see in the Bible that law and narrative clash. This is but one prime example. Abraham, for example, serves the angels milk and meat together. Had he known of Leviticus and the laws of Kashrut, he never would have done so. This is another example of this tension. But when we compare these two stories, it's easy to see that the origin story of King David is far more important than Abraham violating the laws of Kashrut. Which then do we follow, law or narrative? Do we ban the Moabites and Ammonites from marrying an Israelite? Or do we follow the example of Ruth? Lot's descendant, a Moabite who did marry an Israelite. Clearly, we follow the story of Ruth, since it is so important to Jewish history and theology. But in every other case, Moabites and Ammonites are forbidden fruit. When we take the time to focus on Lot's daughters, we see that they played a major role in biblical history. Even though their methods were morally repugnant to us, God saw otherwise. Genealogies in the Bible have meaning. For David to be a descendant of Moab, a son born of incest, this shows that the Jewish God is a God of forgiveness and grace. The laws are not necessarily ironclad. Two generations before the birth of David, exceptions were made and even celebrated. After all, if Boaz had followed the law to the letter, we would have had no David, no future Messiah, and no hope for redemption in our world. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please like and review this and all my podcasts on our website, www.torahforchristians.net, or on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also subscribe to my Substack column, Bible Stories I Never Taught You in Religious School, on the website or directly on Substack. Next week, we'll look at the story of Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. While we often skip over the second generation of Hebrews in favor of the far more interesting first and third generations, Rebecca is an important woman of the Bible and deserves a closer look. Again, thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and I wish you a wonderful week. Ine ma manaim shevet gam Behold how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together as one. L'etraot till we meet again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this has been Torah for Christians.